Alan and Master, we thank you for tonight as we come before your word. We pray that today you will breathe upon your scriptures. I thank you that the Holy Spirit, who is the perfect teacher, the best teacher, will minister through me. I pray for understanding. I pray for clarity. I pray that at the end of today's service, may we experience liberty, total liberty in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I trust you are walking in faith then, amen. Entering into his rest. I'm talking about entering into his rest. I'm talking about just one definition of rest, which is entering into Christ. Amen. All right. The last time we studied on the book of Rome, on Rome of Romans, and we were on chapter five. We actually finished the whole of chapter five. And chapter five, you can sum it up basically in two parts. The first part talks about the benefits of justification. And we looked at that from verses 1 to 11. And we enumerated five benefits there. Among one of them was, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So there are five benefits, just one, one is enough. And we also looked at our destiny from verse 12 to verse 21. And for us to understand our destiny, it was very important to look at where we are going but in order to know where we are going, we have to start from our origin. Even you see the map quest or ways or whatever you use, you can't just go to your place without first of all keying in your current location. It will never, it will never, it, it will never be able to give you a proper detailed analysis of your, your destination. And so in Christianity, whenever the issue of destiny comes up, or predestination. It's very important for us to understand our origins, where we came from. And we came to the conclusion that, that was two weeks ago, that man is a sinner or righteous based on origin. Okay, it's not based on actions per se. A man is not a sinner because of actions. Or a man is not righteous because of actions. A man is either righteous or unrighteous because of origin. We are either from the first or the last Adam. And verses 12 to 21 uh, makes that picture very, very clear. Amen. So today we will continue on our journey in chapter 6. I must be honest, I really wish tonight we could do two chapters for the purpose of understanding. Because... um, you won't get the full picture of chapter 6 without chapter 7. It is so when you read chapter 6, it's, it's, you are sort of hanging in a balance. And you also not understand chapter 7 without reading chapter 6. Chapter 6 puts chapter 7 in context. So 6 and 7 cannot really go together. Amen. But uh, I don't think we have that much time to do two chapters so let's just do one chapter for today amen so probably next week what you want to do is that before we start chapter seven listen to today's message again so that when we read chapter seven everything will make sense and it will fit in the bigger picture 
for you. Amen. So chapter 6 deals with the issue of sin at hand. Uh, sometimes when the gospel of grace is preached, uh, one can easily assume a certain stand on sin, which at times is not scriptural. Amen. Um, when Paul wrote chapter 6, chapter 6 was tying up any loose ends on chapter 5. Uh, so, all that Paul is saying is that grace doesn't afford us to live wantonly or, or carelessly. Uh, we should not take God's magnificence and bountiful love in vain by living anyhow, since we are justified and have peace with God. Okay, and that's one of the many benefits of our justification. Um, the statement where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. This will encourage us Christians to strive on towards godliness in Christ and spiritual maturity than using this as a crutch to live anyhow. Amen. I'm sorry. So, like I said, the, the statement we talks about where sin abounds, grace will abound much more. This statement, it should really encourage us to strive towards godliness and spiritual maturity than using this as a crutch to live anyhow. It is very dangerous to receive the gospel of grace and then assume it's understanding. It can be very dangerous. If you ever read the book of Corinthians, first and second, it's a typical example. They also experienced the gospel of grace, but they didn't know how to live the gospel of grace. That's why there was so much sin in the church. All right? <laughs> and, and sometimes that happens. You know, when Paul was writing this gospel of grace, he didn't just preach it to the Roman church. He preached it to all the churches, all right, Thessalonica, um, Ephesus, Rome, all the churches, Galatia. But when Corinth church received the gospel of grace, they had received the gospel of grace, but they didn't learn how to live the gospel of grace. And sometimes that can be a problem, especially when it comes to the area of how believers we deal with sin. How believers deal with sin sometimes presupposes that many believers don't know how to live the gospel of grace. We have just received the gospel of grace, understood the gospel of grace, but sometimes we don't know how to put it into practical application. So we thank God that Paul wrote chapter 6. Amen. And sometimes, like we all know, it, it highlights that problem in today's church. You know, what we see in Corinth Church is, is a mirror of what is also happening today. There, there are many Christians who have received the gospel of grace and they are not balanced. They don't understand it. They, they haven't learned how to tie certain loose ends. You know, and, and theologians call this lifestyle antinomianism, which means that 
you are afforded to live a life of grace without observing moral law. And when you begin to live like that, you are in bondage, basically. Amen. So sometimes there are, there are some people who live like Corinthians. Because the Corinthian church, there was no church that abounded in revelation, spiritual gifts, more than the Corinthian church. But they were morally bankrupt. They were not growing, even though they were exercising spiritual gifts and all that stuff. It was a huge problem. There was a real character deficit and it showed in their stunted spiritual growth because they didn't know how to live the gospel of grace. And as Christians, when we come to the place where we experience all these New Testament truths and, and knowing about God's mag, um, magnanimous nature and who he is, how loving he is, we shouldn't use it as a crutch just to assume and live in here. Because sometimes I believe people people live like that based on assumption. Sometimes I don't even think it's intentional. I think it's because of assumption. Amen. So we need to come to a place where we know. And when we know, we can do better. Amen. So chapter 6 lays down some truths when it comes to believers dealing with sin. And this is a masterpiece for all born-again believers. You know, sometimes I ask myself, how many born-again believers truly understand Romans chapter 6 because I, I believe that when we all come to the place of understanding I wanted to use the word perfect understanding of Romans chapter 6 I don't think there's anything like perfect understanding because our understanding will continue to evolve as a result of our growth in Christ so when we come to an understanding of Romans chapter 6 I, I really believe God with all my heart that it will change our trajectory in our Christian walk of faith with God. Amen. So let's read. Let's start with the first three verses. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I think last year I preached a whole message on this called Overcoming Sin. Amen. So probably you might need to listen to the message again because I, I believe some of the things I see will, will be parallel to each other. Amen. Now, the word sin is mentioned twice in three verses. And it's important for us to take note of that. Now, before we, we deal into exegeting the text, when the subject on sin comes up, four things you have to note. One, sin is a person. For example, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray in, in Matthew chapter 6, that same prayer is in Luke chapter 11. One of the lines is that deliver us from evil. You know, when, when the Lord used this verse, he wasn't talking about evil as an action or a habit. He was talking about a person. When the Lord says deliver us from evil, he's not talking about deliver us from evil actions, evil thoughts, evil desires. It's deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from a person who is embodied in evil. So when we talk about sin, sin is a person. 
is personified. In fact, if you do a careful study of the Bible, all the virtues in the Bible are also personified, like righteousness. It's a virtue, yet it's personified in Christ. Like love. It's, it's a virtue, but it's personified in God. God is love. So most of the virtues that we see in the Bible all have personifications or they are personified. And so is sin. When we are talking about sin, we are talking about the total embodiment of sin in the person of the devil. Amen. So that's one thing you have to know. Number two, when we talk about sin, we are also talking about nature. Nature. The nature of sin. Number three, we are talking about a mindset. You can have a mindset of sin. Romans 8 verse 6, the Bible says that for to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So sometimes sin can be a mindset and it comes in the form of carnality. So when we are talking about sin, we are also talking about a mindset. That's why the Bible tells us that we should renew our minds with the word of God. And when we renew our minds with the word of God, we end up not becoming a conformed vessel, but we will become, we will be, we will become a transformed vessel. Amen. So when we are talking about sin, you are also thinking of the word mindset. And number four, when we talk about sin, you are also now talking about actions and habits. I think that's the most common definition of sin. When we talk about sin, we normally refer to actions and habits. So when we talk about sin, person, nature, mindset, actions and habits. Amen. So now let's get into the three texts. So to deal with sin, Paul is saying to believers. So Paul is not talking to everybody here. Paul is talking strictly to believers. So if you want to deal with sin, the first thing you have to know as a believer is that your sin nature is dead. That's very important. So that's what Paul is referring to. He said, we are dead to sin. What kind of sin are we dead to? Nature. Your sin nature is dead. It's, imp- it's very important to know that. This should be a stronghold. You know, when we talk about stronghold, sometimes it's used negatively because of the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 to 5. That I always say, casting down strongholds. Right? So sometimes we think stronghold is a negative thing, but stronghold can also be a positive thing. Uh, what's the meaning of stronghold? A stronghold simply means that a series of thoughts that has been fortified in your thinking. That's a stronghold. A series of thoughts that has been fortified in your thinking. So as a Christian, we also have to develop a stronghold that sin is dead. The nature. The nature of sin. That the nature that Adam is the progenitor of that we all came into contact with. Now, during this COVID time, they call something contact tracing. All of us experience contact tracing. 
as a result of Adam's virus, which was sin. That nature that we receive, Paul is explicitly letting us know it is dead. And because that nature is dead, we don't need to continue in the action. So when Paul is talking about what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? This is how we should read it. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sinful actions that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to the sin nature live any longer in it? Do you understand what I'm saying? So that's why when, when the, the subject of sin, whenever you are reading the Bible and the subject of sin comes up, it's very important to know what is the Bible really talking about. Because sin comes in four classes. Person. Nature. Mindsets. Actions and habits. Now, in three verses, we've seen the word sin appear two times. So now, what sin is the Bible talking about here? It's talking about nature. It's talking about actions and habits. So, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sinful habits or sinful actions that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to the sin nature live any longer in it? So, a Christian can only stop sinning if he knows that he is dead to the sin nature. And sometimes, let's be honest, how many Christians truly know that? Because if you don't know that you are dead to the sin nature, and that's what I'm saying that this is strictly written to believers who have received Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. They believe with their hearts, confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior of their lives. These are the people we are talking to. You will have to come to a place where you know that you are dead. Your sin nature is dead. And you don't live any longer in it. If you don't come to that realization, don't bother fixing actions and habits. But there are many Christians who fall into a cycle of bondage because we always want to fix actions, habits, without first and foremost addressing the status of the nature. Okay? If the, statu- if the status of your nature is dead or alive, that's what is more important. And if your status of your nature is alive, probably you haven't received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. If the status of your nature reads death, then you have received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, and you need to be strengthened in that knowledge till it becomes a stronghold. That's the only way you will be able to deal with sinful habits and sinful actions. Amen. Now, verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? So Paul is saying that as a Christian, when you receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, 
you were baptized into Christ. Now, the word baptism will appear frequently in our verses we read. Baptism is not necessarily referring to water baptism. Okay, it's not. That's why when you read Hebrews chapter 6, one of the fundamental doctrines a believer should be schooled in is called baptisms with an S. There is more than one water baptism. Okay, the most popular baptism we all know is water baptism. If you are in charismatic and Pentecostal circles, you might probably know two, Holy Spirit baptism, which comes with the evidence of speaking in tongues. But may I submit to you that there are more than two baptisms, by the way. One baptism is also called the baptism in Christ. And when did we experience the baptism in Christ? Was when we came to salvation. That was an experience of baptism. That's why when we have the water baptism, we are just mirroring the salvation experience. That's it. Water baptism is a public affirmation of your confession that Jesus is Lord of your life. That, that's it. That, that's all that water baptism plays. Amen. That's the only difference. Because when we became Christians, when we received Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we were actually baptized. And we were baptized in Christ. And what does it mean to be baptized in Christ? It means to be baptized in his death. If you do remember, when I was um, preaching on knowing Christ, one of the installments I talked about being conformed to his death. is the same as being conformed to his death. When we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we are conformed to his death. It means we are buried in his death. And we raise, we are raised from his death. That's why when you fall into the water, it's a burial. And then you are raised so that you can walk in the newness of life. All these are symbolisms. So the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ is a real experience for a believer at his inception of salvation. The only thing yet that we will experience will be resurrection. Resurrection is a future thing. When we, when we attain onto the resurrection, that's when we will actually experience that resurrection experience. But as Christians, we have all experienced the death and the burial so that we can walk in the newness of life. Amen. Let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So that explains Romans chapter 3, verse 3. Do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? So when we come into Christ, or when we are baptized into Christ, we come into his death, which is the end of our new nature. And then we receive a new creation. Because all things have passed away and all things have become new. So that is the effect of us being baptized in Christ. When we are baptized in Christ, we are baptized into his death. His death expunges our old nature. And it, because of we have been expunged of our old nature, 
we experience newness. We are new creation, created after the new man of righteousness, that we can walk in true holiness and pleasing God. Amen. So, like I said, when you are baptized into Christ, which means his death, it means the old nature of sin is dead and you are now a new creation. If you can't acknowledge the sin nature in you is dead, it will be futile to stop sin action. So that's one of the big differences we all have to know. The reason why there are some Christians who don't feel in bondage to sin is because of this truth. You have to understand that sin nature is dead. When you can understand that your sin nature is dead, as a result of the salvation experience, it will be easy to tackle sin action. But there are many people who put the cat before the horse. They want to tackle sin action, sin habits, sin thoughts, without addressing the sin nature. Amen. All right, let's read on. Verse 4 to 6. Verses 4 to 6, I'm sorry. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Our old nature of sin has been buried through baptism in Christ's death so that we can walk in newness of life. So that's the end goal. What's the end goal of the salvation experience? The end goal of the salvation experience is for us to be baptized in Christ. And when we are baptized in Christ, it means we are baptized into his death. And what does it mean when we are baptized into his death? This is the end goal of it. The end goal of being baptized into Christ's death means the old nature, which the Bible, the, 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 the verses we just read calls the body of sin, is dead, is been done away with so that we can walk in the newness of life. So the end goal of why we are baptized into Christ is for us to walk in the newness of life. That's why we read 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, if, if anyone is baptized in Christ, and what does it mean to be baptized in Christ? It means to be baptized into his death. When you are baptized into Christ's death, the old man of sin, or which is also called the body of sin, has been done away with that. We will no longer be slaves of sin so that we can walk in the newness of life. Do you understand? So the Christians experiences the death and the burial of Christ in his salvation experience. That is what it would take for us to experience walking in the newness of Christ. So may I say this to you, when you're a believer, you are not a slave to sin. 
because the body of sin is dead. You have to know that. Amen. And that's why when we read here to Apostle Paul said, knowing. So, suffice it to say, there are many Christians who are living in bondage because they don't know. Now, there is something I also like here. It says that, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly, you can underline that word, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly, that's my key word, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. You see, we haven't experienced the resurrection yet. That's why the central theme of the Christian message is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because when we come into salvation, we experience the death and the burial experience, which signals the end of the old man of sin, which signals the nature is dead. And because the nature is dead, it is possible to keep our actions so that we can live right unto God. But we have this hope that if we have been united in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall partake of a future event which is called the resurrection. So not everybody will be a participant of the resurrection. To become a participant of the resurrection, you first and foremost have to be a participant of his death. Amen. That's the only way you, you, you partake of his resurrection. So it doesn't necessarily take being a good person to partake of Christ's resurrection, which is a future event. It takes you experiencing his death. If you are a participant of Christ's death and his burial, the Bible said, certainly, so this should give you hope. It should give you hope about your destiny. It should give you hope about your future. Certainly, we will be united in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So all this thing is not talking about future now. It's talking about present. The body of sin, which is the old nature, will be done away with so that a Christian will no longer be a slave of sin. Amen. So the death and burial is for the conversion of a sinner to a righteous one. The resurrection is for only those who have experienced his death and his burial. So when you're a Christian, try and know this. You are no longer a slave of sin. Because our old man or our old nature has been crucified with Christ. This is good news. Amen. Now let's read on verses 7 to 10. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. 
knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Amen. So from this reading, a non-believer cannot be free from sin. You get it? A non-believer cannot be free from sin. Because the Bible says for you to be free from sin, you have to have died. And when you die, you are free from sin. And what does it mean to die? I explained that. It means we are baptized in Christ. And when we are baptized in Christ, it means we are baptized into his death. It's the same as you have died. So, who can become free from sin? The person that can become free from sin is the person who is baptized into Christ. And the meaning of being baptized into Christ is being baptized into his death. And being baptized into his death is the same experience as dying. So it is only those who have died who are freed from sin. Do you understand when I use the word die now in this context now? It means we have been baptized into Christ. What does it mean you've been baptized into Christ? It means you've been baptized into his death. And if we are baptized into his death, it simply means we are dead or we have died. It's only those who have died or who have been baptized in Christ who are free from sin. They are free from the nature of sin. They are free from the person of sin. Are you understanding me? So we are dead to sin. We have been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So where, where, where is the living part? The living part is in the future. The living part is in the future. That's talking about the resurrection. So now, as Christians, what, what are we experiencing? We have died with Christ. We are buried with Christ. We have died with Christ because the old nature of sin is dead. We have have been buried because we are baptized into Christ so that we can walk in the newness of life. So everything that the Christian is experiencing today, as of May 2021, is the death and the barrier experiences of Christ. In the future, when the end of the age comes, we will all experience the resurrection of Christ. We shall live with him. But it's important to note that an unbeliever cannot be free from sin. It's not possible until the unbeliever is baptized into Christ. Because sometimes when it comes to sinful habits and sinful addictions, we try to go to therapy. I think it's good to go to therapy, but that will not deal with the root issue. Sometimes we think it's good to go for counseling. It's good to go for counseling, clinical counseling and all the stuff that we have there, but it won't deal with the root issue. Sometimes people think that you need willpower. Well, it's good to have willpower. I believe that one of the fruits of the Spirit is called self-control, and within self-control is a certain amount of willpower. So it's good to have willpower, but that in itself is not enough to keep sin 
the nature of sin and sinful habits, sinful actions, and sinful thoughts. It, it won't work. Sometimes we like to use resolutions with steps. You'll see someone who smokes. He say, oh, 2021, January 1, midnight, I'm done. No more smoking. Look, you can have all the resolutions you have. It's not going to work. If you really want to be free from the power of sin, if you really want to be free from the nature of sin, you will have to die, which means we will have to be baptized into Christ. See, so what Apostle Paul is saying here in verse 7 is what he, re- it's what he emphasized earlier in verse 3. We have to be baptized into Christ, which is being baptized into his death. That's the only way we'll be free from sin. So thank God for all the resolutions, the steps, 10 steps, 10 practical steps to get out of this. But without dying, without experiencing the death and the burial of Christ, you are not free from sin. It will just be a yo-yo thing. And you will just be going and you'll be coming back. Amen. We, We have to experience Christ. When we experience Christ in a real way, sin will lose its power and its effect on us. And there are many believers too, let's face it, after reciting the sinner's prayers, they haven't taken time to know, one, or number two, they haven't been taught. Or sometimes too, where you also go to church matters, they haven't been taught what salvation experience really entails. And that's why when Paul keeps on talking, he uses the word know, knowing. He's using those words a lot. Because for a Christian to really come to a place of total liberty and freedom, it's of paramount importance that you know. Of paramount importance. And that's why when you're a Christian, you can't divorce yourself from the Bible. You have to know, you have to know, you have to know, you have to know. Know that you are dead to sin. Know that the old man of sin is dead. Know that you are freed from sin. And there are many believers who don't know this truth. So they live as if they haven't been born again. And that's the reality. So sometimes it's not even the unbelievers that you even feel sad for because... What can you do? But it's believers who have come into the saving knowledge yet are still blind. You have to know. You have to come to the realization where you know that you have died. Why? Because you have been baptized into Christ. So you have died. And if you have died, you are free from sin. And sin sometimes becomes the big elephant to talk in the room, especially among Christians. But it needs to be talked about. You know, if, if you, you want people to be free from sinning, you don't have to avoid the sin issue. Number two, if you want people to stop sinning, you don't need to give them laws. That will also not work. Number three, if you want people to stop sinning, you also don't need to bash and hammer them. That will also not work either. So I think three ways by which we are tackling sin, since tradition hasn't worked. You try to give more laws, it's not working. 
we try to avoid the sin issue completely and talk about the love of God, which is good. And we should talk about the love of God. But just talking about the love of God blindly without having a scriptural perspective on how Christ has dealt with sin on our behalf will not help anybody. And then number three, you don't bash people and condemn them. That will also never let them change. It will either make them more guilty and more shameful. Look, if we want people to come to a place of freedom and liberty, and even we as Christians, if we will also want to come to a place of freedom and liberty, we have to experience Christ, period. When we experience Christ, we will experience his activities, which is his death and his burial, which will put a death knell to our sin nature, our sin thoughts, and our sin actions. Amen. So proper discipleship can let us live a life of overcoming sin. So Paul stresses on the new creation or the believer knowing. Knowledge is of paramount importance on how we should walk this Christian work of faith. Amen. Let's continue verses 11 to 14. You know what? Let me just stop here. Let's take questions. I, I feel I have to take my time. I've ended. Who has questions? Contributions. It's so funny. I was thinking I was going to do two chapters today. Then I said, okay, I'm just going to do one chapter. We'll finish chapter six today. And then we'll do chapter 7. And I ended up only tackling just 10 verses. But it's good. Amen. Let's, questions, contributions, just let it flow. Amen. Okay, I have a question. It sounds uh, kind of elementary. But, um, okay, so you are saying uh, that we die to sin, right? Uh, so that we can walk in the newness of life. What does it really mean to die to sin? Okay, so what does it mean to die to sin? Yeah, what does it really mean to die to sin? Because, you know, um, you kind of touched a little bit, you know, we say that, or we think that just by stopping the habit, you know, we accept Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, and now we just want to stop the habit. And we think that we're, but so what is it? So then, so then the begs the question, and what does it really mean to die to sin? Uh, what it means to die to sin is one, the devil has lost hold over you. You are no longer under bondage. That's the first death. So once you have escaped the devil's realm and territory, you are no longer under sin. Number two, what does it mean to die to sin is that the nature that made you sin 
that nature has changed. To becoming the righteousness of God. And because that is a new concept to you, what will help you strengthen your conviction that you are the righteousness of God is to renew your mind with the word of God so that you will know that which is good, perfect, and acceptable. So what do I mean by nature? Nature means when we were born into this world, we were all sinners. We were evil people. Why were we sinners? Why were we evil people? Chapter 5 answered that for us. You were evil and you were a sinner, not because of what you did or what you said. You were evil and you were a sinner because you were born in Adam. And we did that in chapter 5. So when we say that you have died to sin, that nature, the former nature, without Christ is dead. And now you have put on the new man after the spirit. But when you put on the new man after the spirit, it's not just enough. You will now need to read this book. This book is what is going to educate you on, oh, okay, the new man after the spirit, when I have the tendency to hold a grudge, I have to forgive. This new man after the spirit will teach me that, oh, okay, I'm not married, so I don't need to cohabit. We need to be separate until we come to the place of marriage because marriage is the bed undefiled and it's an honorable institution. I've been created in new, the righteousness of God. It's a foreign concept. But when I read this book, this book will tell me, pray without season. So, I carry a new nature which now gives me a set of different responses, a set of different activities than my former nature. You see, for my former nature, I didn't need to read a book. Nobody needs to teach you anything. It's a corrupted thing. So you just do it naturally. That's why it's a nature. You do it naturally. But the new nature, you cannot just do it naturally. You will first of all need to read this and it will renew your mind and it will affect how you will act. So when we talk about someone is dead to sin, what it simply means is that one, the devil doesn't have hold over you anymore. You have been delivered from the grip of the enemy because actually people who are also walking by their old nature, there is some level of influence by the devil involved in what they do. Amen. Question answered. Thank you. Welcome. All right. Pastor Robert, I, I think you've unmuted yourself so you can ask your question or contribution. Yes, sir. Okay, so we're just discussing um, the old nature and then the new nature. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we have had a discussion with somebody else, somebody before on that issue, and you, you made a very good point, but then we're also thinking about it. So, if the old nature, 
like you said, the old nature doesn't have to, um, you don't have to learn or you don't have to be taught how to um, live or conform to the old nature. But then the new nature, you have to renew your mind using the word of God. I think that was our initial, that was the point we were discussing with the person, and I, I was saying that that would have been a very good um, point to make if we already, if we had already known this. But then again, I said again that the person might also argue that okay, then why do I have to, um, why do I have to learn to conform to the new nature if I don't have to learn to conform to the old nature? I don't know if my question is clear. Yes, it's very, it's very clear. It's very, it's very clear. The, the reason why I think we, we didn't have to learn was because a sentence had already been passed. For the wages of sin is death. A sentence had already been passed. So when we came into this world, we were already... Let's read Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. So verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among also we all once conducted ourselves in the last of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So this explains why we don't need too much tutorial when we were sinners. All the elements were against us. Everything. The Bible lets us know that we were one, dead in our trespassing senses, we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. And the prince of the power of the air is a spirit that works in the sons of disobedience. Not talking about little children. I mean, anybody who is an unbeliever is a son of disobedience. So then we also conducted ourselves in the desires of our flesh. We fulfilled the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath we've already been appointed our destiny it's like that our destiny so when we were born all these forces were against us little or no training versus romans chapter 12 i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed. So you see, when you become a Christian, the force of conformity is still in existence. If you don't renew your mind by which you will experience transformation, you will be conformed. May I suggest to you that there are two types of believers. They are conformed believers and they are transformed believers. Because it's also just not automatic like that. The Bible says that, and do not be conformed. So even though we have become Christians, the force of conformity is still at hand. 
Why? Because the devil, as we all know, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, is still the God of this world. And because he's still the God of this world, there is, uh, 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 there, there are, we, we are at polar opposite with the devil's system. We are at polar opposite with ev- his governance, everything. So we will need to renew our mind. That's why with that, we need more force because the system is against us. We, we need more force. We need more effort. We need to apply diligence in renewing our mind so that we will be able to know that which is good, that which is perfect, and that which is acceptable in the sight of God. But when it comes to a person walking in sin, he doesn't have all these forces against him. None of them. So now let's flip it to the other side. If we were living in heaven, we will not need to do much to become like God because the system is for us. But for someone to live like a sinner, how is the person going to live like a sinner if God is really in charge? He has to go to another source, a foreign source behind the ruler. You understand? So I I think it comes to who is in charge, systems, that determines why when you become a believer, it's not just automatic because the system of the world will not allow that. That's why God is in, in finite wisdom, gave us a book that will help us. Even though the devil is in charge, even though the force of conformity is in charge, we have the Bible to be able to renew our mind to help us to be like Christ. Amen. Loaded question with a very loaded answer. Okay. Yeah, the, the last point really yeah. 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 Thank you. God bless you. Amen. All right. Let's thank God. Can we thank God that we are delivered from sin? You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer a slave to fear. You know, one of the things that sin brought was fear. That's why I like that song. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Just thank you. You are no longer a slave to sin. You have been delivered. Reckon yourselves that you are dead indeed to sin. Let's begin to thank God. Let's, let's begin to thank God. Thank God that you are free. You are free from sin. Every sinful habit is broken. Every chain is broken. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. To break every chain. Every chain of sin is broken. Every addictive behavior is broken. The Bible lets us know that we have been redeemed from the useless lifestyle of of our conducts, which was inherited by our fathers. We have been delivered from that. Why? Because of salvation. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise for what you've done today. Father, even as we learn of this, we want to say we are grateful for our salvation. And we thank you that you have shown light on our salvation experience that indeed we will know that we have authority, we have victory, we have dominion of our sin. Father, we pray that you will help us to walk pleasing unto you, O Lord. May we possess our vessels in holiness and cleanliness because you have called us unto holiness indeed. We bless your holy name, Lord, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit who taught us all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. God willing, we start from verse 11 next week. Thank you, guys. Good night.
Bye.